Welcome to the Smart Connector podcast, which helps entrepreneurs generate more impact, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons and become a smart connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. This podcast is sponsored by Virtual Non-Execs, the world's number one peer-to-peer board advisor community, which connects thousands of investors, entrepreneurs and advisors globally. Welcome to the Smart Connector podcast. I have a very exciting guest, Trey Cabrera. Welcome, Trey. Thank you, Jane. So Trey is founder and principal of Cabrera Advisory Group, which is a black woman-owned management consulting firm. And she has 20 years experience across multiple sectors, and especially in the public sector in the US, where she's managed many programs and teams. And today she focuses her energy mostly on leadership development, value-based leadership, community building, and systems change. So it is really great to have you here, Trey, and I'm really looking forward to getting into this conversation. Thank you, Jane. So happy to be here. Yeah. So, Trey, whereabouts are you in the U.S.? So I'm based in Annapolis, Maryland. So that's in the mid-Atlantic region of the United States. Yeah. Not far from New York, not far from Philadelphia. And geographically, has your work mostly been in that region or have you worked all over the U.S.? Mostly in this region, but I have worked nationally. So depending on, you know, the work or the position, you know, my work has taken me outside of this region. Yeah, yeah. So today, what we're going to focus on really is the public sector in the U.S. And it's huge, isn't it, to start off with? It's massive, isn't it? What does the public sector actually consist of in the U.S.? So the public sector in the United States, so kind of thinking about the work that I've done, so it's really about this kind of coupling of the uh, community-based work, so nonprofits, community-based partners, but then kind of the public sector kind of wrapping its arms around those entities and those stakeholders to really kind of fill those gaps that they're not able to provide services for or provide optimal service delivery. Um, And so the public sector really kind of functions as that entity, and we see it kind of in a variety of forms and fashions. So we understand that, you know, the public education system, that is public sector, right? Our political system, that is public sector. You know, our health systems, our our Department of Health, our, our Board of Elections, these are all public sector entities. So it really depends on the work that's happening on the ground and kind of where that public sector piece would find the right fit. Yeah. So have you seen changes in the public sector over the last few years? Uh, Are there any trends that you see coming out of that particular industry? Yeah, I mean, so there's definitely some changes and there's definitely some trends that we're seeing. I mean, just taking just kind of this global example, right, of the COVID-19 pandemic, what happened in our world. So the public sector really had to act pretty quickly around that incident something that kind of continued to grow and is still happening, right? We're already hearing kind of what that looks like on the ground come these fall months and the colder months in our communities. Where will the public sector kind of start to infuse its resources to start to, you know, kind of assist folks in their communities and the communities that are served by public sector, you know, funding and programs, right? So we have seen some of those trends kind of change and we've seen some things kind of happening a little bit differently in response to 
kind of these major happenings in our world, right? But to think more kind of locally and kind of at the community level, the public sector is changing all of the time, right? So we're always yeah. seeing adaptation. We're always seeing things that are kind of, you know, speaking to not just need, but we are looking at what does that look like from that community-based partner that's either providing the services or is not providing the services. And so then that public sector piece will come in um, and we'll cooperate in that way to really make it as efficient as possible, but really to target target those specific areas of need. And so thinking outside of just kind of that one off, you know, the public sector has adapted in many ways, but has really started to look kind of um, across these networks and across these other opportunities that gives it more visibility. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, why is leadership such an important issue across uh, the public sector in the in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, I think leadership is important certainly across sectors, right? And so we talk about this cooperation between sectors and what does that cross kind of pollination look like and what does that mean? But leadership really in the public sector is is something. To, I mean, it's very. I'm very passionate about it. It's something that I've you know had an opportunity to work. Kind of within those structures of a public sector agency in a, in a senior leadership role. But it's very important, right, because that is, a, that is an entity that is funded with public money, right? That is an entity that is funded by tax dollars, and people have their eyes on what does that look like in terms of the output and how that money is being used and allocated. And, you know, we all understand that, you know, the public sector isn't out fundraising, right? There's other entities that will do that for a public sector agency. You know, I had an opportunity to work in a fundraising role and we were fundraising for a public school system. And so there's ways in which the, the leadership piece really comes into play and really comes into focus. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, the, the leaders in the public sector that I've worked with, it's really about having the visibility and these opportunities to really kind of be in community, be in these spaces with folks that are on the, on the ground providing services to, to people. Yes. Now, I know that here in the UK, we've got a bit of a public sector crisis because there's a, an issue with funding. So the, the budgets have been cut really across the board. And it's also because costs are going up. Mm -hmm. So the police, for example, there are less police on the streets. We all know that. And of course, what happens is the crime statistics go up and um, the arrests go down. We've got a bit of a crisis in the school system where you know, all the schools are struggling for resources, uh, and particularly so right now, because obviously a lot of costs have gone up across the board, but the budgets and also the pay grades have, have remained largely the same. And I'm just interested to know whether that's the same in the US or whether funding to the public sector has risen in proportion to costs. Right. So, you know, it, it is a crisis, right? So we see some of our public servants uh, that are in these positions for years kind of really just leaving. And the explanation being, you know, sometimes it is the pay, sometimes it's the working conditions, sometimes it's I'd like to go to the other sector to earn more money, right? So teachers are a perfect example. So we understand that with the COVID-19 pandemic, that took a major hit, our public education system and just education in general. So we, we really started to see kind of this, you know, this pulling back, right? And teachers feeling that they couldn't be in the classroom for whatever reason. And we've started to see some of that return, but we haven't seen kind of at that rate that it would be most advantageous to really kind of serve these schools 
you know, that are missing the resource that is probably most paramount, right? The person in the classroom who's teaching your child. Yes. You know, and so we do see some of that kind of those missing pieces regarding, you know, the services that are provided, the police, community safety, safety, you know, public safety. That's another example. But I would say that folks leaving the public sector workforce, right, folks not kind of finding um, their place there and wanting to move on to other work or, or retiring or whatever the case may be, that's a systems issue, right? And so we talk yes. about that and I talk about that very explicitly in my work. It's really about understanding the operations of the system and within the system. Yes. What do those breakdowns look like and where are those impediments and kind of how do we address those? So folks might be leaving, but what's that bigger picture, right? That's a symptom of a larger problem. Yes. Yeah. Very important point. And of course, uh, I believe there's a name for it, which is the great resignation or the the big quit or whatever. And certainly we are seeing that over here. We're seeing record number of doctors, for example, leaving the NHS, which is our healthcare system. Mm -hmm. A lot of teachers find that the burden of administration is becoming much higher for them and uh, all the red tape. And of course, that's not why they went into teaching. So I get it that it is a it's a system thing, isn't it? It's a process thing. If this is happening, then it has to be tackled at an earlier stage, doesn't it? And that's the thing that you really love to do, right? Yes. Yes. So really, you know, addressing kind of head on the gaps in the system, right? And understanding the system to be able to do that. Yeah. So can I just ask you, Trey, why are you so passionate about this? Why do you want to do this? Because obviously it it is all about making an impact, but why is it important to you personally? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question and I appreciate the question. Um, So for me, it's it's really about kind of um, taking a step back, being introspective, being that observer, understanding kind of my career trajectory things that have happened in my career, opportunities I've had, opportunities I have not had, have all kind of led me to this place, right? And I and I understand the value and the impact of having strong, successful, productive leadership, right? I, I know what that looks like, and I've been in the place to be able to support my team in that way. And unfortunately, I've seen, you know, significant gaps in leadership ability and, not only have teams suffered, but entire agencies have suffered, right? And so I've seen what that looks like when those gaps are very, very clear, but nobody's doing anything about it. Yes. And so it's important to me to be able to use the skills that I've, you know, developed and honed over time to be another stakeholder in this community with folks who are who are interested in pivoting away from just being someone who's at work each day, kind of checking a task list, but really being an impactful leader who's really making kind of these substantive substantive changes within their their work community. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so can I just ask you then, Trey, what would a typical assignment look like if you were to walk us through either a real a real life example or just a, a fictional one that is perhaps represents some of the aspects of a typical project? Sure. So something that I'm really excited to be jumping into here over the next couple of weeks. So thinking about kind of sustainable leadership and and I'm very passionate about values-based leadership. So really understanding your own values, how those reflect in your personal life, aligning those to your company, and then kind of, you know, building that sustainable infrastructure to continue that forward. 
um, over time, right? So not the one-off, but really having that sustainable infrastructure to be able to build and scale. So something that I'm really excited about and something I'll be working um, with a client with over uh, these next 12 months is this values-based leadership work and really kind of bringing a cohort of school leaders together, you know, who are interested in, you know, having that opportunity both for their own personal and professional growth, but then learning the skills and that value add for their team to start building resilient teams, right? And so it's beyond just, you know, let's let's figure out how do we do this work kind of isolated and siloed and kind of to benefit ourselves. You know, my refrain really is, you know, let's start to build these things together so that our teams can operate more efficiently and more often. Um, so that's that's one project that I'll be, you know, launching into come, you know, fall. And I'm really excited about it because it's with a community partner that I worked with um, in graduate school. And I'm so excited to be in this space with them today, you know, as a business owner. That sounds absolutely amazing. So community and leadership. I mean, what does community actually mean to you, Trey? Oh, so, you know, as as a professional urban and regional planner for the last 20 years, you know, so community is really that foundation for how, you know, I show up in spaces and what I like to, you know, kind of drive forward and the messages that I like to carry forward in terms of building strong networks, but really being not just with people, but being in community with those people, right? And so community to me is really about, you know, building an infrastructure to, you know, kind of do the great work together, but bringing the right stakeholders together pretty early, right? So that's that community piece. So it's, I know I have these skills. I know what I like to do. I know what I'm good at, but I'm also not good at everything. And I also don't like to do everything. So mm. it's finding those right touch points and that right network effect to, to bridge the divide, to bridge the gap, and really to build community around, you know, the work that you're doing and being able to do it t- together in a, in a very mm. successful and coordinated way. Yeah, I love that because together we are strong, right? I right. mean, there's so many kind of wise sayings and proverbs about yep. that, that no man is an island, right? You know, together we travel faster and further and all of those things. So I really, really love that. So let's just talk a little bit about the diversity and inclusion in the public sector, Trey, because do you think that, do you think that that is perhaps a better environment for people across the board to thrive? Or do you think, well, it doesn't really make a difference. It's very much to do with the individual organization and their values. And, you know, what do you think on that topic? Yeah, so I would say it's the latter, right? So I do believe that it is individual to an organization, a company, an agency, or whatever the type of workplace. I think that we have a lot of shared lessons and we have a lot of best and promising practices that we can take and borrow and learn from but it really is about kind of driving forward not just the values certainly the values but then also kind of that core foundation and really the landscape of that place right so how do you onboard your your people how do you hire your people what's your recruitment look like then when people sign on and accept the job what are the next steps, right? Mm-hmm. How do you select teams? How do you select people to lead teams? What does that look like? What does the external piece of the DEI conversation look like? So I was recently on a LinkedIn audio event that was really exciting, and the focus was cultivating spaces of belonging. And that was a big piece of what we talked about. 
So the community being the workplace, so how do we really start to dig in and dive in and understand workplaces are different? We don't have all the answers. We can learn together, right? Everyone's bringing something of value to the table. But for me, in terms of belonging, which is one of the pieces of the DEI conversation that I really underscore, because for me, DEI, having a strong DEI foundation in the workplace, that leads to belonging. Right. So having those strong efforts in the beginning, that leads to that, you know, sense of belonging for each individual team. team, team. But it really looks different. It's not it's not better or worse. Right. There are different approaches to doing it. But again, I think it's that conversation around how do we learn together to do the best work? Mm. That is that is really, really very interesting. And, And I love your perspective on that, because I'm kind of getting this image of you really as somebody who is, you know, you are standing outside, but you are the connector, you are the catalyst really for 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 this good, good stuff to happen. Because really, ultimately, it's about fostering relationships and goodwill and, as you said, a sense of belonging, which I think is just so important in organizations because it is so easy to disengage Mm -hmm. and feel as though this isn't for me. You know, there's just a a, a values mismatch. I mean, I remember when I was in employment, I certainly felt that. Right. Well, one of the, I I mean, I couldn't agree more, Jane, but one of the things that I often talk about in in the work that I'm doing around values-based leadership, if, if you're not finding kind of this match, not not necessarily everything's identical, but but really kind of finding a way where your values, right, as part of the team, the individual, when you're defining and identifying them as a team, as a group, and then when you're trying to align them and understand what's happening at the company level and what are those expectations, if you're not finding where those things match, that's probably not the right job, right? And that's a difficult place to kind of come to because mm. I know that the jobs that I've taken and the spaces I've been in, I've taken the job because I, be- I believed in the mission, right? Yes. I believed in the work. I believed in what was happening um, and I wanted to be part of it. Yes. But now we find ourselves, you know, kind of in these spaces of questioning, right? What is this that's happening with this company? And people, I think, are becoming more courageous to speak up about those things. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And I think obviously the the environment is so transparent, isn't it, compared to in the past that I don't think companies can get away with a poor culture or a poor right. environment in the way that they could in the past. Right. I mean, I've, I've seen that within my own family. I mean, my three girls, you know, they're in their 20s. So obviously they're really at the start of their careers. And, you know, they've had a variety of experiences. And it's very interesting because they are very courageous in terms of speaking up when something isn't isn't working for them. And they are very, the, the culture and the alignment with the brand and the mission, as you said, of the business that they decide to commit to is very important to them. And I just think in the past, people didn't just didn't have, feel as though they had the choice. Right. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's a different workplace culture. And I think it's really up to everyone to be part of, you know, shaping that. It's really not HR. It's really not the DEI, you know, coordinator. It, it's everyone. It's really 
being an, an engaged employee and, and frankly, leadership giving folks an opportunity to be at those tables. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, Trey, do you have any particular role models or favorite leaders yourself? Mm, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I have a couple. I would say the late Dr. Maya Angelou. She is a oh, major yeah. influence influence of mine, someone that I, you know, I've read all of her books, love her poetry, love, you know, the the lasting legacy that she left in her community work and just, you know, her travels and just just all of it. Just a very strong and capable black woman mm-hmm. and someone who I, you know, really did did have do have a lot of admiration for and just have really found a lot of commonalities with her childhood and just the upbringing and, and all of those good things. So she's one of my favorites for sure. Gosh, I have a, a couple. Who's another? I guess I would say, yeah, this is a good one, Jane. I guess I would say Audra Lord is a big one for me. Love her. Nikki Giovanni. Just, you know, Black women, you know, who have written about these experiences, who have had the opportunity to, you know, kind of dig into their own lived experience to produce, you know, some of the most beautiful poetry and written work that I've ever read. And so I think that it's just finding those natural, you know, connections and those natural shared experiences potentially. But I'd say that those are three women that I really, that I really have admired over time. Oh, that's really, that that's really nice. And it is so, again, it's one of the pleasures, I think, of really being able to, to access cultural works of art, books, you know, obviously podcasts, yeah, programs and so on, is actually to get the message out and to really be able to 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 resonate and to bring those inspirations to a wider world, right? So yeah. So so tell me, Trey, what what is it that is, you know, most important to you in terms of your your process and your methodology? Where where do you actually start mm-hmm. if you're with or on a new assignment? Do you have particular frameworks or tools or whatever? Yeah, great question. I mean, for me, and I've, you know, had the opportunity to chat with a couple of colleagues over the last couple of weeks and, you know, we all seem to be saying the same thing in terms of how we're how we start projects. For me, it's really about that partnership relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So understanding the relationship and really starting to nurture it and and really grow it from a very early phase. I think it's really important when you're working with folks who are certainly kind of new to the work that you're doing. So I'll talk about a little bit about the leadership development work. You know, but really being in spaces with people who are new to that world, right? I, I talk a lot about, you know, being a, a ready now leader, right? And people who are in leadership work and in leadership roles, many are not ready. They are mm-hmm. just not ready to be there. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my job has to do with kind of being in the space with them to explore those very early pieces of what we'll be engaging with together. Right. Mm-hmm. So I can talk about leadership very ably, very differently than someone who's new to it. Right. And whether yes. or not they have the background or experience, it's really about what is that comfort and confidence that we're trying to build together. So that's mm-hmm. a lot of the methodology. Right. A lot of it is let's be in the space together. Let's build the relationship from a very early place and then start to build that trust in you know, so that we can be successful in the work together. And so that's a big piece for me. It isn't about just, you know, because everyone's not going to be ready for, you know, 
the, the offering that I have, right? Not everyone's ready to be in that space. And so it's assessing that, it's understanding, it's having these conversations. So that's a big piece for me, the partnership relationship piece and really starting to understand, you know, who, who am I engaging with? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And talking about emerging leaders, what is it that you think they struggle with when they are suddenly faced with this challenge of becoming a leader for the first time? Right. I think some of the struggle has to do with, again, kind of stepping into that place of courageous leadership, Mm -hmm. maybe not even understanding what that is or what that means or what that entails. I think there's a lot of hesitation around raising, raising your hand to say, hey, I need a little bit more support here. I think oftentimes when folks are in leadership roles, they truly believe that they're not allowed to ask questions and they should just know how Uh to do it, you know? And that's just not the right, to me, it's not the right mindset. It's not productive. It really doesn't move the ball forward. And really it starts to put a gap between you and the people you're leading, right? Yes. So they see that you're not able to step up and ask questions you're not, you're not modeling the behavior that you're hoping to see from them, right? Yeah. So I think that's a big piece for emerging leaders, this, this inability or hesitancy or even fear of speaking up to say, I need a little bit more support and really speaking up to your employer who put you in the position to now be in the leadership role, right? So it, it's finding that self-advocacy, it's leaning into the value of self-advocacy, and it's, it's understanding when the right times are present for you to, to use your voice and say, you know, I'd like to be successful and I, and I really need your help to do that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And of course, the minute you do, you become a leader, I mean, I've, I've been a leader of organizations myself and leader and a team leader. And yeah, I, I was doing that a lot without really any support. And of course, what happens is you realize pretty quickly that as a leader, you are shaping the culture of the team below you. And that's quite a responsibility. And it's quite, it can be quite overwhelming, I think, for a lot of people. Don't, wouldn't you agree? I do agree. And, you know, I know that overwhelm is a mindset and it really is something that you can shift and learn to handle and kind Mm -hmm. of get in front of before it really takes you over. But you're right, Jane, it is that leadership role that is really kind of embedded in setting these tones across the culture of the organization, right? Yeah. What, what is that and why, why are you in this space and being given this great responsibility to be engaged in this way, right? I, I believe that everyone who works for the company should have, you know, the opportunity to be at the table to talk about you know, how are we building this culture together? And I know that that yeah. doesn't happen most often. Yeah. But I do know, too, that leaders that are in roles where they're feeling overwhelmed and cannot speak up, it, it, that is a matter of time before that breakdown really starts to, to show. And so it's really in the best interest of everyone, right, to support the person who's leading, not just, you know, that culture setting, but, but, building a team that's resilient and modeling behaviors and values for people. 
Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. And I was just thinking, reflecting as you were talking on some of the organizations that I worked in. And when I when I think about there was one organization that I worked for, it was actually an advertising agency, but I loved the culture there. And it was very consistent and very uniform because people would lead in a similar way across the organization. And for me, I guess what must have been happening is that people, somebody was paying attention to that. Whereas I think about other organizations that I worked for, this is way back when because I've been an entrepreneur for quite a long time, but where you had a completely schizophrenic experience with one leader and another that was on on the similar level. And it was really, they were just operating out of instinct. And so you get Mr. Nice and Mr. Nasty. That, that I think, is a very good way of, for me anyway, showing whether a, an organization is actually taking the responsibility seriously. But I'd love to hear what you think as a professional in this field. Yeah, I mean, it's so true, right? I mean, one of the things that I talk about is having these opportunities, you know, very visible to leaders to, to rely on their leader peer to learn together right? What are those smaller learning communities that you can form with the folks that are, you know, you know, same life position, a vice president, a vice president, a program director, a program director, because a lot of times there's that anxiety and fear around, you know, asking up the ladder, right? Mm-hmm. You, you kind of don't want to seem or feel like you don't know the answer to something. So you don't want to rely or expose yourself by asking someone who's in a higher position than you, where in reality, and as far as I'm concerned, that's how you start to break down the barriers that exist, right? When you have that confidence and that that opportunity to engage with people who who are your same like peers, but then also moving up the ladder and finding the resources up, that, that to me is very appealing. And it's something that leaders should really start to look at more closely. But I have also been in a situation where, you know, the one leader is very approachable and everyone loves them and wants to be around them. And then there's the other and you try to avoid that person because you don't know what you're getting from day to day. Right. And so that's yeah. really unfortunate, but I think that really speaks to that breakdown of that individual um, relying on the supports that are available. Right. Cause there's some coaching and some professional development to do around kind of shifting that person's mindset and how they show up. Right. There is an opportunity there. Yeah, yeah, that does make a lot of sense. So do you find that organizations, uh, you know, they're generally very willing to look at their leadership style and make that change? Or do you encounter resistance? And if so, what form does that resistance take? Right. And so I, I say, you know, just because you've done something one way for 15 years, doesn't make it the best way, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is just taking a step back and realizing what isn't working, right? Hearing from people who you can trust and who you're building relationships with, but people who are really invested in doing something different, right? The leader doesn't need the people in their ear telling them what they want to hear. The leader really needs someone who's challenging them and saying, maybe let's look at it from this angle because also, right, we've heard some feedback about how we've done it, and it really wasn't received very well. So the leader needs the person who's going to challenge them and and push them to think differently. 
And so I think organizations foster some of that, but I do think that when you're building a team, right, it's, it's, I'm, I'm team leader, I'm responsible for these people who are working with me, but then who, who can I look to, to really help guide me and, and push a little bit and challenge me a little bit and not just be in this space of checking a box that things are done. How do we get away from that and start to think more about um, the actual sustainability of not just the work, but the, the place, right? Because I also say, when people get frustrated enough, they're gonna leave, they're gonna go and do the same work at a better company with a better culture. And that's just the bottom line because people yeah. don't leave, people leave workplaces, right? They don't leave jobs, they leave workplaces. True. Yes, absolutely. And of course, what happens is if you don't fix this, you get a talent drain, don't you? Right, right. Well, you get a talent drain and then you get the unfortunate situation of just giving people extra work, right? Oh, when yeah. they're not they're not ready to do that extra work. Yeah. So the work's gonna suffer. And you're not paying them any, any more money. Hmm. So I've seen that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, that's terrible. And, you know, I can't really talk specifically about instances in my family, but I did see that happen to one of my uh, daughters. And it was really, she'd actually just been promoted to a new role. So she was paid a little bit more. She was excited about this promotion. And within the first week of her being promoted to the new role, the manager who she was supposed to be reporting to left. And she was then expected to take on the manager's role and the manager's workload as well as her own. Right. And she was in tears every single night. As you can imagine, it was just horrendous. And of course, that led to her ultimately to her basically planning her exit and moving to another company that was a lot more sympathetic, let's just say. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's so true. I mean, it's just not sustainable. And, and, and I've seen it happen time and again where people really? are in a role and they're just, they're in the role. Like there's no real, you know, pay, no, no one's paying attention to that person's ambitions around growing in their career Things yeah. that they have been discussed are now on the back burner because we just have to kind of keep this fire out, yep. you know, and it's just becoming a responsibility for someone who didn't sign up for that. Right. Yeah. So that isn't that isn't fair. But and there's a different way to do that. And so companies need to kind of pay attention to what that might look like. Yeah. And I think, you know, the the word that you use that is really critical there is attention, really, isn't it? Because without attention, we humans wither. We lose motivation. We get very sad. If we feel as though nobody's actually checking in on us and actually hearing us or finding out what matters to us, whether obviously we're at home or whether we're at work, then we just get sad yep. and demotivated because we're, we're social species, aren't we? Mm -hmm. So do you, do you help your clients to do those kind of check-ins and do they, do they get formalized or do you just encourage people to do them on an informal basis? Um, so, so for me, kind of thinking about that regular check-in piece and what does that look like um, for me and the client and building that relationship. So that that is a little bit more formal, um, mm -hmm. but there's always an opportunity to just have a conversation, 
right? I'm a big, I'm a firm believer of that. Just ask the question and, and yeah. you don't really know where that's going to lead necessarily, but you can always just ask, right? Hey, how's your day? How's this project? Can I support you in any way? Oh, that person's going to be out for five weeks. How can I help you fill the gaps, right? Having those conversations and taking the initiative to do that. And now the expectation of the employee or the team member initiating that conversation, I, I again think that speaks a lot to culture. Does the person feel safe in doing that? Does the, does the person feel like there's a trusting relationship that's already established so that they can take the risk? They mm-hmm. can ask the question and don't have to fear the consequences of, of whatever may happen. So it's again, that culture setting and really setting that up for you know, everyone who's involved in the company and is invested in the company. But I think it could be formal and informal. Um, I think for me, it's a little mix of both and it just depends on the situation. Yeah, but I mean, bottom line, I think what's kind of coming through really loud and clear is that leadership, you know, it's not a fluffy, nice to have. It is actually fundamental to the success of the organization and the teams within it, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and and, and it's also about shifting your mindset and having this reality. I, I very much believe it's a reality, but having this kind of just ingrained the leadership is an earned privilege, right? Mm. This is not, this is not, you've been here five years, let's just give them, there are many places that do operate that way and that's okay. But for me, when you're wanting to see kind of this substantive shift and having that sustainability built in, you know, to the operation, you want your best people, whether or not that person's been there 10 years, that doesn't make them the best and most qualified, right? We shouldn't just be giving people roles. People yeah. earn that. And the company needs to support people in that journey. That's a big piece too. You can't ask someone to want to step into something that's, you know, higher visibility, more money or anything like that when they don't necessarily know the path to get there. And, and that's really the company's responsibility to make sure that that is known information and everyone has an opportunity to, frankly, you know, compete for that role. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look, it's been such a fascinating conversation with you, Trey. My brain has been firing off in all directions. So I have really, really enjoyed this conversation. So before we wrap up, you've got something that you wanted to talk about or promote today. So over to you. Thanks, Jane. So Cabrera Advisory Group, we will be launching our called Lean In Learning Series. And it's really this opportunity to dig really deep into the uh, the foundations of values-based leadership and leadership development in particular with a focus on systems change. So a lot of what we've talked about today. So it will be a cohort learning community and that's something that I'm very intentional about. For me, it's an opportunity to learn with the client, but then it's also an opportunity for the client to have their leader peers kind of in the room around the table. And so I really value that. So that work will be launching here kind of late summer, early fall. And so I encourage you to go to the website. The website is cabreragp.com and find our link, our Lean In Learning tab and go ahead and kind of explore that and see if it might be the right fit to have a conversation with me. But it's a very kind of rich and substantive experience. So I just, you know, encourage people to check it out. 
Amazing. So again, before we go, Trey, what is the best way for people to contact you individually if they want to have a conversation? Sure. So my direct email, you can access that through the website, which is cabreragp.com. My LinkedIn account is very active. And so you can go ahead and find me at Trey Cabrera, MRP MSW, and you can reach out to me there and shoot me a note. And we can go from there. But yeah, I look forward to having conversations with folks. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Trey. It's been such a pleasure. And yeah, look forward to hearing and seeing more of you. Thank you, Jane. Appreciate it. Bye for now. Jane Bader is the Smart Connector, a London-based, passionate serial entrepreneur, brand marketer and business growth exploder who helps overlooked and undervalued consultants and sector experts generate consistent, scalable revenues through becoming the go-to choice of their dream clients. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate you liking, rating and reviewing the podcast on the platform you've heard it on. And check out the links in the show notes if you'd like to connect with Jane or any of her guests in person. Thank you for listening and come back soon.